My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. In a New York Times essay last year, comedian and author Michael Ian Black wrote this, The past 50 years have redefined what it means to be female in America. Girls today are told that they can do anything, be anyone, and they've absorbed the message. They are outperforming boys in school at every level, but it isn't just about performance. To be a girl today is to be the beneficiary of decades of conversation about the complexities of womanhood, its many forms and expressions. Boys, though, have been left behind. No movement has emerged to help them navigate toward a full expression of their gender. It's no longer enough to, quote, be a man. We no longer even know what that means. Super interesting to think about, right? Obviously, there are still plenty of challenges unique to being female or femme, but I completely agree that we need more conversations about gender expectations for guys. According to gender experts and research, common ideas about modern masculinity are probably not surprising to you. They involve independence, sexual assertiveness, athletic skill, and a certain level of income. And where women are considered overly emotional, quote-unquote, and the nurturers, men are often expected to be stoic or brash or temperamental. These ideas can limit folks of all genders. Take career paths, for example. While gender expectations often keep women from being as welcomed as men in positions such as leadership, men haven't been as respected in nurturing or caregiving careers. In a recent study in the UK involving 13,000 11-year-old kids, about 35% of the boys, over a third, wanted to have athletic or gaming careers, and one-fifth of the girls wanted to be teachers. Girls are much more likely to want to be doctors than they were in years past, according to other research here in the U.S., but boys are 80 to 90% more likely to want to be police officers or firefighters. I wonder if any of the kids surveyed listed professional cuddler as an aspiration. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so thankful that you're listening. Today, we're going to expand on the conversation we started a couple of weeks back with professional cuddlers Jean Franzblau and Faye Wyatt with their equally esteemed and awesome colleague, Dr. Yoni Alkin. We're going to explore not only his work and ways cuddling can change lives and our culture, but the gentler, super important masculinity he and others are cultivating. Here's a hint. Intentional cuddling can help. Then later in the show, Dr. Megan Fleming and I, and probably Dr. Elkin as well, will weigh in a bit for a listener who says sex takes a lot longer than she'd like, sometimes up to two hours before she experiences orgasm. Before we dive in, a quick reminder to sign up for occasional Girl Boner updates by email at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. I send updates about once a month featuring news about upcoming events, lessons I'm learning along the way, episode extras, and more. Now, I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Yoni Alkin to the show. 
Yoni is a sex educator and sexual consultant with a doctorate in human sexuality and a master's in conflict resolution and mediation, and a professional cuddler with Cuddlist.com and a certified cuddle party facilitator in San Francisco. He has experience and expertise in alternative relationships, improving your dating landscape, and touch and consent advocacy. He's also the author of The Book of Cuddles, an instructional book for cuddling. We'll explore not only his work and ways cuddling can change lives and our culture, but the ways we connect with others and gentler, super important masculinity he and others are cultivating. And I'm so pleased to have him here in the studio today. Thanks for joining me, Yoni. Ah, it's so good to be here. Thank you so much. I'm curious what you wanted to be when you were a child, because I imagine cuddle expert wasn't even an option yet. I wanted to be a baker, but then I found out that you have to wake up super early. So, no. You're not a morning person. No. You could no. be like a night donut baker. Oh, yeah. That would be great. <laughs> Which is unfortunate, because right now I wake up every morning at 530 for, <laughs> to, to get stuff done. But, yes. Yeah. Still. And at what point did you decide you wanted to pursue sex education and also professional cuddling? So I've been a sexual educator since 2011, uh, and I've always been that friend that people come come forward to and ask them questions and, oh, what do you have to say about this? Or have you heard of this? Am I normal? And the answer is yes, you are. Um, so they've always come to me and asked me questions. And then at one point, I've also... I've also been told that I'm a really good cuddler. I give great hugs and everything. And I met one of the most successful uh, cuddlists, which is one-on-one cuddling. And she basically told me, oh, you should definitely try it out. And I tried it out. I I really wanted to share my touch with other people. Uh, They really needed it. And once I started cuddling, um, I started with one-on-one cuddling and then I started running cuddle parties. I found out that the touch aspect is fantastic. It's great. It's lovely. But the real magic is in the consent education, consent practices. We really uh, get better at asking for what we want and saying yes and saying no. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Yeah, that is so awesome. I want to ask you a really, really basic question. Sure. How do you define cuddle? Because I talked with Jean and Faye about my experience going to one of their events, and my favorite thing was sitting back to back with someone. Mm-hmm. And I never would have classified that as cuddling before. Right. So I'm gonna, like a good Jewish boy, I'm going to answer you with a question. What is sex? I love that question. Right. You can't really answer that. It is very individualized, and there, it's so amorphous. You can't really say. So the same thing with what is a cuddle. Um, In my cuddle parties, there's a piece where we talk about touch we like and touch we don't like and touch that we might like, but we won't experience in this cuddle party. So my examples are always, I love head scratches because I really do. And uh, I love back scratches. That's great. I don't like it when people caress my knees. I know that's weird, but that's the way my body works. Um, And something that I might be okay but not going to do in this cuddle party is eye gazing. So here's an example of something that is very intimate. We are sharing a really powerful and intimate moment without touch at all. Is that cuddling? I would say yes. Yeah, it's so it's so vulnerable feeling. Right. To lock eyes and to really hold that gaze. Correct. I did it in an acting class in my past career and it I remember it being very emotional. Yeah, very much so. It's very intimate. And that's the thing. 
there's no touch involved. But I would say, again, this is my opinion, I would say that that is cuddling. Sitting down watching a movie, holding hands, sitting shoulder to shoulder. It's all cuddling, in my opinion. It's all a matter of different levels of interaction. I like to say that cuddling is um, giving someone intentional attention. I like that. I'm intentionally giving you my all, Mm. all of my attention right now. Mm. That's really lovely. That's lovely. Do you feel like as a culture we are lacking platonic touch or touch as a whole? Yes. (laughs) Very simply, yes. Uh, Not everyone, of course. But I see it more and more uh, by the people who come to my cuddle parties, by uh, actually just today came out um, a YouTube video about loneliness uh, that's just rampant in our society, in our culture. And um, it's really it's really interesting also for me coming from uh, I'm Israeli, so coming from a very different culture and um, for us you know, we hug very, very easily. And in the U.S., it's way different. I remember coming up to my first boss and saying hello and waving to them. And in my mind, I'm like, Yoni, this is your boss. You do not give them a hug (laughs) because that's what I was used to. So definitely there is a touch aversion in American culture. And we basically teach ourselves to fear touch. And when we talk or think about touch, we immediately think about sex. And what cuddling does is decouples Mm. those ideas. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, too, how it seems to be much more socially acceptable, especially in different regions of the country, for two women to hold hands and to hug. But to see men holding hands or to hug, you assume that they are a gay couple. And not only are they assumed they are a gay couple, but it's negative that yes. they might be. Yes. And that's a really important added negative value to that statement. Um, and here we're, we're touching on the difference of experiences that men and women have. And again, I'm talking very gender binary um, just for the simplicity of, of this conversation. Obviously, gender nonconforming people have different uh, experiences uh, but right now, let's talk about men and women, cis men and cis women. Um, and they have very different experiences as clients, as practitioners, as cuddle party uh, guests. All of these, they have different experiences for sure. And I imagine that learning to embrace the comfort and familiarity around intentional cuddling and exploring that and understanding it, especially for for people who identify as as men, might really, really help as far as interactions with women if they are heterosexual, because it doesn't turn any kind of touch into a invitation for either person. Definitely. And a lot of people say that sex is everything in our lives. Sex is Um, not the act of sex, but sexuality is a part of every, every interaction that we have in our lives. If men are taught that they have to be sexual, they have to be conquerors, they have to, uh, 
show their uh, sexual prowess, otherwise they don't have any value as a man, that's a big burden. And men carry that burden around every day, daily, all, all day long. Think about how mind-blowing it is to take that away and just say, just be. Just look inside yourself and say, okay, let's say you cannot have sex now, but you can have great intimacy. You can have wonderful connections and you can have touch. What kind of touch do you want? That is a very difficult question for people to answer. Mm. You brought up in this wonderful TEDx talk that you gave recently that it's so important for for men to not feel that the only touch they can have is sexual because they might actually be craving a different kind of touch and not even quite be aware of that, I imagine, from that pressure. Correct, correct. I don't think that um, men are aware of that lack. They, The only way for them to interpret it is by uh, having sexual contact. And that's so, okay, I'm told that that's what I need to do. That's what I'm going to aim for. That's what I'm going to have. And men are missing out on so many beautiful experiences and self-growth of figuring out what you really want just by heading, rushing towards that goal mm. of, of sex. And uh, you have to understand, I'm a sexual educator. I'm all for sex. Sex is beautiful. I'm very much for it. It's great. But by practicing non-sexual touch, you're actually making yourself a better lover. You're making yourself a better communicator. You are building trust and the sense of safety in your surroundings for people to get closer to you. Could you lead me through a verbal exercise? Sure. Um, let's do like the simplest. We do that right off the bat in cuddle parties. Uh, it's called the no exercise. All right. So what we're going to do is, um, August, I'm going to ask you for a kiss and I want you to answer me no. Okay. okay? No it. matter what you really want, I want you to answer no. Is that okay? Got it. Uh, we'll, and then I'd love for us to switch. Okay. Okay. So let's try this. Hey, August. Hey, Yoni. What's up? I'm pretty good. I was wondering, may I kiss you? Uh, no, I don't think that's a good idea right now. All right. Great. Thank you. That's really good for me to know. All right. Great. Let's do this again, but the other way around. So I ask you? Yeah. Hey, Yoni. Could I give you a big kiss? Uh, no, thank you. Thank you for honoring your boundaries. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, that's great. So... Perfect. Thank you so much for um, participating in this uh, exercise. What we just did is usually the hardest thing that people coming to cuddle parties fear. What we just did, we just rejected one another and were rejected by one another twice. We did that Rejection, that's big. It's really, really tough. Right. You're saying rejection is big. Do you mean being rejected by someone or rejecting uh-huh. someone? I think they can both be really difficult. I personally probably I'm trying to think of which I struggle with more. I think I'm better at receiving rejection. I don't know if it's because of my, being 
you know, a creative person where I'm constantly being rejected <laughs> for many, many, many years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you kind of build a muscle around that. But rejecting somebody else, there's a fear that comes up for me often where you don't want to hurt the person's feelings. Definitely. And, and you kind of padded your no. I can't remember what you said exactly, but... Um, it wasn't like, no. Right, yeah. right. And that's great. We all do that. But we like to say it at a cuddle party. We say no is a complete answer. And no is a complete sentence. Yeah. You don't have to excuse yourself. You don't have to explain yourself. Notice what I did. I said, no, thank you. Yeah. Right? That's it. And you still had a really friendly tone. Mm-hmm. Not that you have to have that because you absolutely could be be forceful if someone's approaching you and you're feeling threatened right obviously but i like that it's just so sensible kind of straight to the point no it's like do you want a sandwich no do you want a hug and a kiss no exactly <laughs> and and what's the difference yeah we put yeah. the difference there because it has sexual connotations for us mm. but there is no difference between that and do you want a sandwich wow how has this work and this study influenced your own thoughts and feelings and experiences around masculinity? Because I know, obviously, you you already were a sexuality educator, so you're perhaps more aware of a lot of this stuff than the common you know layperson. But has it changed or shifted your own sense of, of gender roles? Extremely. Um, mostly in the sense that I need to be even more aware of the space that I take and the space that I'm in. Um, I'll give you an example. As a practitioner, as a one-on-one practitioner, that is, I work with Cuddlist.com, and I am, I'm a male practitioner. I have around uh, 50% uh, female clients. I want to be very aware of where they are in the room, spatially. I want to be aware of where I'm at. I want to make sure that they feel comfortable and safe. That might mean for me to sit on the other side of the sofa. That might mean for me to make sure that when I talk with them, they have the opportunity to get up, walk away, and out of the house. Even that extreme thinking is really important in the subconscious of them feeling safe. Mm, Yeah. That means that even if we have that kind of interaction of uh, no exercise or how are we going to ask for touch and talk. I don't touch my client before talking about it. Even when explaining and giving uh, um, an example of how we want to touch one another, I would show the example on my body Mm. and not on them just so they would feel safe. They would know that I will not touch them without discussion without talking about it first before knowing that they really want it not just agree to it want it Mm, that's so beautiful and makes me feel emotional just thinking about and hearing a man say how important safety is that's such an important message for everybody regardless of gender to understand but just that kind of respect if you take that from the cuddle space out onto the street Oh. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I, uh, if you would ask me how to um, condense my TEDxSoma talk to one word, I would say safety. And I think men don't think enough about how women 
feel safe next to them in the sexual sense Mm -hmm. or in the non-sexual interpersonal interaction sense. Yeah. And um, we are like like you said, we are being taught that masculinity is aggressiveness and we have to show dominance and we uh, need to assert ourselves. And that might mean, you know, the guy who comes over at the bar and puts his hand next to your head on the wall behind you, which you already feel trapped. But he is putting his hand because he wants to assert his place and show you that he's the man. And that's beautiful in his head, but it's scary in your head. Yeah. And that guy is losing points rapidly and is basically, oh, I'm not sure I feel safe with this guy. I'm going to say no and hope that nothing violent will happen because he's already showing me aggressiveness. Yeah. So you think it's you can't reason with an unreasonable person, right? So if someone is if you feel threatened you're afraid if you say no, even in any kind of way, what if this person lashes out at me? Right. And I don't think that men, and again, I'm making a broad generalization, but I think that many men do not understand that that is every day, all day long for women. Mm-hmm. They, every interaction. I had friends who was like, oh, worst case, they'll just say no, they'll be okay. And I had to explain to them, no, for a woman to say no, it can be dangerous. Even if it isn't dangerous with you, even if you're the good guy, if you're wonderful, never hurt anyone, that's great. Other guys will and do. Yeah. And you have to be very careful. And men have to understand that even if they are okay, they are taking care of the people around them. Other men are not. And they would, the other men would basically do anything to get the woman, get the sex. And they are basically hurting themselves. They're hurting the women. They are hurting other men. It's a terrible, terrible um, situation where they, they're, they're hurting everyone just for the chance of maybe succeeding in themselves. And that's the... That's why pickup artistry is so horrible. You know why I think pickup artistry is horrible? Because it works. When you play the numbers game, when you um, when you try so many times and you're so persistent, and even if the other person doesn't want to say yet, they say yes to you. It worked. Yeah. Yay! Especially because usually the yes comes from a lot of times they're preying on somebody who's very vulnerable. Correct. Doesn't yeah. have agency to say no. Yeah. And uh, great. It worked for you. Wonderful. I'm being sarcastic. Right. Like what hear. did you really win? What did you really win? You won something from someone who doesn't really want that. You hurt yourself. You hurt them. You hurt other men. And you're only making the dating scene worse by that. Yeah. It, I think it's really hard to imagine if you've never experienced that kind of fear all the time because something really interesting happened when I took these really intense self-defense classes that were so strengthening and there were a whole bunch of consent and boundary setting kind of cool stuff and role-playing exercises and I didn't realize even myself how afraid I had been walking down the street I mean you know sometimes it's very obvious but I didn't realize it was like basal level anxiety 
Definitely. Yeah. So I love that you said that. I think that's so powerful and so important. So let's take that scenario. Some, Let's say a guy who has really good intentions wants to connect with, uh, let's say, a woman in this case, walks into a bar, and normally he would put his hand up on the wall. What's the better option? The better option is making her feel safe and giving her options and choices. So, for instance, if I come up and make an offer, say, hey, would you like to have a drink? I can, in that offer, make it clear that it's okay if you don't. And if not, it's perfectly fine. Or we don't have to have a drink. We can do it another time or not at all. That's great. And just having that clarity of you can say no and that will be fine Mm. is really important. Giving a choice. Giving a choice because so many times uh, women experience that, especially online, where, uh, hey, uh, you look really hot. Uh, Do you want to go out? And like, no. Ah, you fat bitch. Who wants you anyway? Right. They get the, the rejection gets answered with a terrible response. So the first thing is making it clear that it will be okay if you say no. Mm. The second thing is being okay when they say no. No. Okay, great. Thank you. That's really important information. Thank you for taking care of yourself. Thank you for uh, for communicating your boundaries clearly to me. All those things are really wonderful. And again, I am being okay by getting a no. By doing that, I am showing that I am safe to talk with. I am safe to communicate with. Again, if I truly am safe, I want to not just show it. I want to be it. Mm. That allows someone to see if if I handle a no well, I might handle a yes even better. I just experienced so much in my mind the power of those those no exercises in a cuddle situation where you are you have a professional there and you are you know going through these exercises because it I imagine that's a muscle to work just as it's a muscle to stand up for our our yeses and our noes to accept them definitely and uh, I you hit the nail right on the head because I say it all the time consent is like a muscle the more we practice it the better we get at it and the reason that I can be safe with that no and be like oh thank you yeah that's fine is because I practiced getting a no and I feel comfortable with it and not only that I I'm also I have to uh, say that I'm in abundance I'm not in I'm not in hungry mode I'm not in oh my god I gotta get a yes no matter what and you have to understand that if you're coming from that place a people are going to see it and it's going to be threatening threatening safety again it's really important and two you're gonna your mind is going to be altered and you're going to falter and you're going to like no oh damn it i really wanted that yes Hmm. and it's really it's a bummer but you're hurting yourself and uh, so find abundance and abundance can be in various ways one of the ways is cuddle parties get your touch needs met in a different place, in a different way, get some sort of intimacy and connection and community, and then you will feel calm enough to actually go out and ask someone out. And if they say no, you'll be fine. You have another set of, of intimacy solutions for yeah, you. Yeah, I love that you use the word starving. Like you're not, it's like if you're perpetually dieting, 
you're always going to want like the biggest, richest, you're going to be tempted by, you know, uh, rather than listening to your body and going, what do I want right now? What do I, what do I not want right now? <laughs> it's, right. It's very analogous. It's very interesting to actually fulfill your own appetite first. Right. Yeah. And if you are starving and you, you're encountered with a big feast, what are you going to do? Exactly. Yeah, it's not going to be healthy for you. Yeah, it's much harder to right. to think reasonably, to accept, you know, a no. Right. Calmly. And, and pace yourself and yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to switch gears a little bit to somebody who really has a lot of yeses that she's going for, because I know that that's also related to what we're talking about in, an, in another kind of way. But it's also really important to know what we want in our sex and intimate lives and just as important as saying no we want to be saying our big big yeses and this question came from pamela who wrote this i'm a 28 year old woman with a partner of 10 years although i've been very sexual most of my life have a very high sex drive and have been masturbating since forever it takes me a long time to orgasm generally between 45 minutes to two hours and i must be the one to do it Sometimes it might take as short as 20 minutes, but it's a rare occasion, and I can't explain why. This is the case whether my partner is involved or not, and takes the same amount of time whether I use my hand or my faithful magic wand. It's not for lack of desire or experimentation, as both my partner and I enjoy trying kinky new toys, watching porn, etc., and I feel overall liberated and fulfilled in my sex life. For a while, it was something we both tried really hard to, quote, fix, but after some time, I decided I would be happier just taking sex as it goes and not worrying about the end result. Nevertheless, it would be much easier and more convenient if I didn't take such a chunk out of my day to get off. Like I said, I have a very high sex drive, so this becomes incredibly time-consuming. Thank you so much for your question, Pamela. I love your attitude, first of all, about this. I think that you and your partner both embracing all the good that you have is amazing. I also completely see how the time issue would be a bit frustrating. Um, my question I had as I was listening or reading your question was, I was curious how you were spending the time leading up to that two hours or that 45 minutes, because I think that sometimes arousal and that emotional state can play such a huge role. Uh, seeing foreplay as more of a, a mindset, an ongoing kind of um, part of you that you're nurturing. And then there are some other factors you can consider, like certain medications can delay arousal, sometimes alcohol or being really tired when you are uh, getting ready to have sex. So there are some different things you can address. But here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Pamela, you know, I really love your question because what's so awesome about it is how empowered you are and how much you enjoy and own um, your sensuality and your sexuality and, you know, that you can have orgasms on your own and it seems like with your partner, although it sounds like by your own stimulation, but that it's, it's interesting that it often seems like you're curious about why, given how sexual you are, that unquote, it takes so long. And first, I just want to normalize the fact that, you know, obviously arousal often takes much longer for women than men. Um, but I want to bring back to you back to what you said, which is it can take between 45 minutes to two hours. And that on some occasions, it might be as short as 20 minutes. And so although, as I'm hearing you say, it's a rare occasion, and you can't explain it, you know, to me, that's the first place I'd start in terms of that sense of curiosity. Hmm, the next time that happens after the fact, right, just 
you know, see if you can journal or notice, again, arousal is both physical and mental stimulation and the foundation of arousal is relaxation. So in the times that it took less time, say 20 minutes, were you more relaxed? Were you already um, mentally really already turned on before any physical touching, whether it was through uh, an exchange that happened with your partner or maybe you were reading erotica or you know something that was sort of titillating during your day but the idea is did you already start coming sort of as I often say you know not as a cold engine but like sort of revved and feeling really warmed up and already feeling sexy and turned on because again I would imagine it's in those times that again our biggest sex organs are mind when you're already stimulated it may not take as much time to reach orgasm the other thing i would say here also is that at this point you know it's part of your narrative or your story that quote unquote it takes a while um in this window of 45 minutes to two hours and so you know there's a part of me that says again the mind being our sex biggest sex organ that to what extent do you we call it spectator and observing you're sort of, whether the, what is the nature of that chatter? Is there any chatter around, hmm, it's taking a while, or feeling what you're not yet feeling, or you're not yet quite there, or just sort of analyzing, sort of being above and analyzing the experience versus just being in the sensory aspect of it in the moment. Because I think that the more you can just be in the moment and be in the body and just being aware of context that um, it's to appreciate the more absorbed we are, potentially the more, in a sense, we're receiving that pleasure. And a resource that I would recommend to you is a book by uh, Emily Nagasaki. And it is Come As You Are because, you know, it's a lot about the context. It's interesting that, again, on your own, where we tend to be most relaxed and or with your partner, that um, the time change can be different. And that it's, I'm sort of getting from this question that you haven't perhaps by your partner's touch and or toy yet experienced organs. So I'm really imagining there is a psychological component. And if through reading Emily's book or the question I'm answering now, it feels like it's not fully resolved for you in any way, absolutely seek out and see a consultation with a qualified sex therapist. Ideally, somebody who is ASECT, which stands for the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. So that's AASECT.org. So by state, they tell you who's qualified. Definitely, it is worth your time and energy to have an initial consultation. So somebody can sort of do a deep dive and really do what we call sort of a sexual status. What are you thinking? What you're feeling? What's happening? Uh, thought, mind, sensations, really sort of tracking that um, individually for you. But that, you know, she talks a lot and she has an assessment in her book about what she refers to as um, sort of accelerators. And those are sort of, you know, we can talk about them, exciters uh, or turn-ons and then versus the inhibitors or breaks or what I call turn-offs. So I think it's really important to recognize for yourself as much as it's great that you have a high level desire, it's unclear to me in the moment, you know, how sensitive are your accelerators or, and, or how sensitive are your breaks and recognizing what both the turn-ons and turn-offs are and how they show up, I think is really a key piece to your puzzle. Um, and that when and if for whatever reason you get caught up in what I call the spectating, observing, or sort of a break is turning on, uh, it's to recognize, okay, how do I turn myself on, right? So that could be flipping into fantasy. That might be erotic talking. Um, 
And the important piece I can only say is about focusing on the pleasuring and that taking your mind off of anything that needs to happen. So the goal here is, of course, not orgasm, although it's a wonderful benefit. The goal is about the giving and receiving of pleasure. And when you're turned on to the pleasure and not attached to any outcome, and you're sort of just in a place of so what, and just enjoying what's happening in the moment and focusing on that, I'd be really curious to see what might shift and that surprisingly, you may be reaching arousal and that tipping point of orgasm sooner. But as always, would love to hear how it goes. Please do keep us posted. Dr. Megan also wanted to invite you all to a very special webinar. I am, of course, thrilled to be talking about Thrive, a course that I'm going to be offering for anyone interested in a higher level of learning that is rooted in the latest from neuroscience and evidence-based practices. And this is over 20 years of my clinical practice and my work. This is a program that's going to guide you through your next level of growth and success in your personal relationships. And what I love most about it is it's a small group format. There's going to be no more than eight individuals in any group. And what I can tell you is there's nothing like having an experience going through those five weeks with the same individuals where you're going to be going a little bit deeper into the content and processing what I refer to as, in a sense, your growth work, which are going to be the written and experiential exercises that you're going to practice between sessions. And I also want you to know that this is my first time offering Thrive for the Girl Boner community. So I'm thrilled to offer this at 147, which is going to be half of the program cost moving forward. I am 100% committed to everyone who joins to receive the highest value from this course. And I can't wait to share more about the details in the next few weeks. I'm going to be offering a free live webinar on March 21st to share more about the course details and answer your questions. The five-week course is going to begin on April 4th. So to register or to get more details, look for the link at the bottom of today's show notes and or go to my website, greatlifegreatsex forward slash thrive. Hope to see you there and can't wait to tell you more. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she shared, and I also hope everyone will check out her webinar. Yoni, what would you add to Megan's insight? So just before I give my answer, I will just say that um, we've been talking about cuddling, which is a non-sexual platonic practice, and I'm going to give an answer as a sexual consultant, which I'm also. (laughs) So just to make that distinction. So first of all, August, thank you. I agree with you. Um, That's a really open-minded well-rounded question you have already (laughs) you've already taken steps that are very common and good um, for exploring yourself and figuring out so one of them was like you said being happy with what you have in the sense of not being uh, goal-oriented towards orgasm because our lives are our, our sexual lives are great and orgasm is one of the things we just tend to put it we just tend to put it as a goal uh, sexually and it doesn't have to be um, so that's one thing the second thing and I uh, I heard you mention it in the sense that uh, searching for other types of sexuality you said kink 
uh, that's great. Their kink is a whole new world, a whole huge, uh, vast world. But there are other types of sexualities. Uh, you can totally look up spiritual sexuality and mindfulness. Um, a lot of people talk about uh, Tantra. Uh, you can look at alternative relationships. You can look at all sorts of sexualities. Uh, e explore your own um, sexual identity and gender identity. Um, these are really uh, good avenues to kind of think and explore with yourself um, just to find out maybe there is something that is different. Uh, and the last thing, well, it, it should be the first thing, uh, is uh, check with your physician. There is a very, very small chance that there is something physical. Most likely it isn't, but it might be. So it, you better check it out uh, yeah. to begin with. And then, yes, sexual therapy is really helpful um, most of our, and I'm making air quotes, problems in sexuality, uh, I'm, they're not really problems, uh, are in our mind. And something is in there and is making things harder for ourselves. So we can totally uh, help ourselves by looking more deeply inside. And that's a therapist. And that's either that or a sexual consultant or something to start, uh, start kind of investigating into it. I love what you were sharing about exploring all these different potential turn-ons because I feel that mystery is such an important piece of our own sexual exploration. And you just never know. I have a friend who is incredibly turned on by toast, like crunchy bread. And once she discovered that, I mean, it is like her go-to, but how would you figure that out, right? Like just from just exploring and being open and going, what is erotic to me? What gives me you know those feelings and just kind of seeing it as like this ooh, what's gonna happen what what could I try whether it's you know one of the things that you mentioned or something just could be something just that seems random totally humans are amazing yeah and we are very strange beings. <laughs> and uh, and that's the thing what we might think oh pff, freaks or weirdos or whatever no they're just humans that's yeah. just their experience Mm, so lovely. What would tips would you provide somebody who wants to start learning from cuddling and might not have access to a cuddle party? Sure. So um, look up other cuddlist professionals in your area. You can go to cuddlist.com and uh, find a practitioner in your area. And that is, I understand it's more expensive, but it, is, it gives you some... Um, some outlet and doing it with someone who's a professional, they can really help you along. Look for cuddle parties or cuddle events in your area. Cuddle party is a trademark. It is a, a specific type of event. Uh, people get trained uh, and they work hard for their training to be facilitators. But there are other cuddle events that are not official cuddle parties that might help out. Can't find a cuddle party in your area? Go and sign up to be a cuddle party facilitator. <laughs> go and uh, start running them yourselves. Go uh, through your through the training. The training is expensive a little bit, but you can definitely find avenues to uh, figure out payments, and you can start becoming a facilitator yourself if that's something that attracts you and build your own community. It's a lot of work, but trust me, it is very fulfilling. Hmm. That's wonderful. It seems like you really find a lot of fulfillment from your career and you're spreading so much good news and messaging. I so appreciate your work. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Tell people where they can learn more about your work. Definitely. You can find me on yonialkin.com. If you're in the Bay Area and you want cuddle parties, go to sfcuddles.com. You can find my book, The Book of Cuddles, at thebookofcuddles.com. Yeah, and just reach out to me. Say hello. Say, yeah, if you have questions for me, go right ahead. And social media, can people find you online? Yeah, definitely. So I'm on all social media as Dr. Yoni Alkin, Dr. Yoni Alkin. So that's D-R-Y-O-N-I-A-L-K-A-N. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube. Go right ahead. And watch the TEDx talk. It's super awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you haven't. And I would so appreciate a simple review and a rating. You can also listen along on Spotify or iHeartRadio and find those extras on my blog at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org, and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.